situation is worse than losing your job. Is it over with the Trevor's Bond Pearl Harbor? The new age of baseball is the castration of the Major League Baseball managers. We know it. Hey, I know who I am. I'm a Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com. A two ways, one pasta food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. By St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Lots of stuff we're getting into today in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about stuff that pretty much is on your mind. So let me know. You can comment on the Facebook Live or Periscope feed, um, YouTube on demand. Uh, as always, show belongs to you. You know, we continue to push very important points of view that exist out there. And it just, it sucks today in this day and age that we live in, in 2019 going into 2020, because there really is no value of even being right anymore. Because people want to believe whatever it is that they want to believe, and they won't let a few facts get in the way of their own narrative. And I've been ranting about this particular point as it exists in Major League Baseball for anybody that's followed the game for more than the last two, three years or so. You'd understand that the role of the Major League Baseball manager has changed, and I'll tweet it out again today on Twitter. Give you your daily reminder that a manager in baseball has basically been replaced with the analytics and data that have done their job for them for the last couple of years. And I could sit here and back point after point after point and make my argument sound better. But if you just don't want to believe it, you're, you, you can't ever be convinced. You just live in your own world. And the same applies to just about any other fact that exists in the world. Don't let a little information get in the way of your own narrative. And it's a shame the way really things have gotten here because the whole debate that you used to have and what made any debate worth being there at a round table, group of people going after points back and forth, point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint, it doesn't exist anymore. Because if you stick in the side, the deepest part of you, that this narrative exists, you'll never let a couple facts get in the way. And it's really embarrassing. It's embarrassing not just as it applies to the world of sports, but it's embarrassing to any conversation that anybody wants to have in a given world. And I think it's extremely, I, I don't know, it's saddening, it's sickening. I mean, it really it really does. It makes it makes. Me sad should make a lot of people sad. Because if you want to believe whatever it is that you want to believe, you're, you're not going to even be open-minded enough to the counterpoint or the other side of an argument that may very well just be correct, be right. You could be wrong. But, you know, God forbid, you know, in a society that we live in now where we give out participation trophies to everybody just for trying it's okay to be wrong because we can't tell anybody they're wrong anymore. When you're wrong, you're actually right, right? Because you don't want to hurt anybody's freaking feelings. Somebody will go with their head down and say, hey, their point is a little bit silly. 
But, hey, they're right too. And you can tell me right now in the day and age that we live in that a Major League Baseball manager has the same power that they did 10 years ago, that they did 20 years ago, that they did 30 years ago. Please. But if you don't believe that, you're right too. And it kind of goes back to the beginning or the first topic that I wanted to bring up today when it comes to fandom in a world of sports. You talk about blinders as they exist just in a world of being right and wrong, in fact and opinion, how it's kind of facts are opinions. However you feel is right. Let's give you the pat on the back. Let's you know give little Johnny and little Janie a hug and tell everybody it's it's okay. You know, you are wrong. No, I can't even tell you you're wrong anymore because, you know, you, you came up with your own thought. You believe something, so you're right. The blinders that exist in the world today is just insane, and it certainly applies to the world of sports because, you know, fans, hey, you know what? Most fans, the majority of fans, they're not in the business. They're not, they don't have a job day-to-day -to, -day to talk sports, so... You know, God forbid anybody would tell anybody that doesn't do something like this for a living that their opinion is not good, that their thoughts about things going on in any way, shape, or form in the world of sports are incorrect. You don't want to hurt their feelings. And certainly we know blinders as they exist here. We talk about beer goggles as they exist in a world of sports. It's not more prevalent in a world of fandom. And whether you are a New York sports fan, a Philadelphia sports fan, a Boston sports fan, whether your fandom is somewhere out in the Midwest or you know out on the West Coast or down in you know the SEC towns and areas and states, you, you know fans like to wear you know the colors of their jersey within their own personality, within their own way of being. You are what your favorite sports team is. So, you know, God forbid lightning would strike down and impact that particular team that you root for. They're still, you're still not wrong. And fans can't be wrong. And think about how we looked at it. Miles Garrett goes with that horrific uh, incident on Thursday Night Football where he swings the opponent's helmet and hits Mason Rudolph in the head. But if you're a Browns fan... You try to make up some excuse why it's okay. You know, you obviously have the phony uh, uh, possibility or the thought put out there, basically the, you know, the race card that was held in Miles Garrett's pocket, and he's being defended, and he he throws that out there unsubstantiated, makes himself look like a big, an even bigger fool than he was on the field. But if you are a Cleveland Browns fan, you're correct. You know, Miles Garrett didn't do anything wrong, or you could twist. The facts and the truth as much as you can to make Miles Garrett look, uh, I don't know, as innocent or as not guilty or as not heinous. And that act doesn't look as bad as it does because you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns. But you could be a fan in baseball of the Houston Astros. And you watch as, you know, their Major League Baseball is going to start getting phone records. More people are going to be discussed and have conversations with Major League Baseball about what was going on in 2017. And, you know, listen, I, I think, you know, you talk about the court of public opinion. It's not looking very good for the Astros. And, you know, maybe somehow they get out of this. But if you're a Houston Astros fan, 
Your, your answer is, what did they do wrong? Well, other teams got to be doing this too. And that's what fans do. Fans of any team will wear these, you know, blinders and be completely ignorant to anything that's going on negatively towards their own team. And they'll take this information, they'll say, hey, I'm going to keep twisting it until my team doesn't look as bad as it looks. And you're looking at really two, you know, situations over the last couple weeks that have been heavily discussed in sports talk that could not make a team in the case of the Astros and an individual in Miles Garrett look any worse than they do. Yet if you're a fan of the Astros, you just want to know what did the Astros do wrong? It's gamesmanship. They didn't cheat. They didn't, you know, use the technology and the surveillance cameras to their own advantage when, you know, it looks like they did. And if they did, it's a major problem. And if they did, they're going to face Major sanctions from Major League Baseball. Listen, they're not taking away their World Series from 2017. That's a little bit much. But they likely will lose draft picks. There will likely be some suspensions once it's determined exactly who was behind it. Was it just the manager? Was it the coaching staff? Was it the general manager? Was it somebody in the front office? Was it Kevin Goldstein, who we know, you know the former baseball prospectus writer who works for the Astros that is known now? to throw out that email basically asking all the employees or the people in the front office of the Houston Astros, hey, how do we use surveillance cameras to cheat? Let's do this. And you look obviously at Miles Garrett and you know you look at acts on a on a sports field or a court or an ice if we're talking about other sports. And this was something that was disgraceful to the NFL. But I'm even done talking about how disgraceful it was. What continues to be embarrassing is the whole fandom that exists out there because fans can't be wrong because you're a fan. Just because you say, hey, I don't do this for a living, uh, whatever it is that your job is, you go out there and you do, it's okay to have stupid takes. It's okay to be biased. It's okay to wear blinders when major issues impact the very team that you love and support. Sometimes you've got to keep an open enough mind to admit that what Miles Garrett did was ridiculous, should not have happened. Basically, any fan that is trying to make an excuse for Miles Garrett, you are just as guilty as Miles Garrett was. What if he killed that man? What if the helmet hit Mason Rudolph's head to a point where he was unconscious and is in a coma right now. You would still see these same fans going out there trying to make some excuse that it's okay. It's not okay to hit a player in the head with a football helmet. It's not okay in baseball to use surveillance cameras to steal signs from your opposition. But according to the general public, it's okay if you're a fan. If you're a Browns fan, you're going to make some excuse or reason why it's okay for Miles Garrett to hit Mason Rudolph in the head with his own helmet. If you're an Astros fan, you're going to make some stupid excuse why it's okay that they can cheat and use surveillance cameras to steal their opponent's signs. Because you're a fan. Fandom. You can be as ignorant as you want to be. You can be as blind as you want to be. 
You can say, oh my God, I wear uh, a shirt or a jersey of my favorite sports team. And that gives me a right to say whatever the hell I want. It gives me the right to sound as ignorant, as stupid as I want to sound. And once again, don't let a little truth of what's going on in the real world get in your way. Don't let a couple facts that are thrown right in your face take you off of your magic carpet ride and your narrative. We're supposed to be proud to be fans and whatever it is that we support, whether we're talking about baseball, football, basketball, hockey, many of us have been fans of a particular team for many, many years. But we feel like it's sacrilegious if we talk about something that our favorite team did that was unethical or wrong. And what we're talking about is two major things that really have been brought up over the last couple weeks that there is very little excuse for. And Major League Baseball is going to do what they need to do to try to get to the root of what happened with the Astros. They're going to need a little more help. Excuse me. They're going to little need a little more assistance. They're going to need somebody else to maybe be in there, whether it's a subpoena, whether they could get maybe Congress involved. I don't know. You know, obviously the antitrust exemptions allows baseball to operate itself or to oversee itself. But if it, if it is what the Astros allegedly did, they're going to have to face major sanctions to it. And there's no fan. It doesn't matter how good of a Houston Astros fan you are. You could go back from 1962 and support the Cole 45s and talk about Joe Morgan and Rusty Staub and John Bateman and J.R. Richard, and Nolan Ryan, and Jeff Bagwell, and Craig Biggio. You could have the whole history of the Houston Astros franchise, all the years they spent in the National League, the run to Game 6 of the National League Championship Series in 1986, nearly getting to the World Series in 2004, getting there and losing, getting swept by the Chicago White Sox in 2005. It doesn't mean that you're not a good enough fan. But you got to admit, there's some dirt here. It looks like there's something devious in the air. Stop making excuses. And the same thing for Browns fans when it comes to Miles Garrett. I'm not, I'm not saying that Miles Garrett is a terrible person. I'm not saying that he's a bad dude. But you know what? He did a bad thing. And his actions by ripping that helmet off, no matter whether he was forced into it, whether... There was something that happened to make him snap was unacceptable. And like I said, you could go back as a fan of the Cleveland Browns for the days of Jim Brown. You could talk about Otto Graham. You could talk about Paul Brown, the coach. You could talk about NFC championships back when the Browns were winning. NFL championships, and I stand corrected. I'm sorry I said NFC. I meant NFL back in the day when the Browns were actually good. You could be a third generation of a Browns fan and talk about your, your sad days when you thought things were going to be good when Bernie Kosar was your quarterback. What Miles Garrett did was wrong. And it doesn't matter that you're a passionate fan. Stop twisting the truth to make 
something sound a little bit better. At some point, fans, no matter where you come from and who you root for, you got to be humbled. Sometimes you're humbled because you root for a bad team. Sometimes your team goes through struggles for five, ten years at a time. That can humble you. You, know, you can have the Patriots on their way to the Super Bowl, and obviously they don't look good when there's cameras caught of them filming other teams' practices. That stuff's against the rules. You could be the greatest Patriots fan in the world, but he did something wrong there. There's no way to excuse it sometimes when you do something wrong. So don't let the blinders that you have as a fan of a team get in the way of reality. And once again, this is a bigger issue as it applies to the entire country that we live in here in the United States. It used to be, like I said earlier, I could sit at one end of the table, you could sit at the other end of the table, and we could have this debate. We could talk about managers in Major League Baseball and their role in a game. And you could throw some decent facts at me. There's things that I will agree. Sure, the manager has a job. He's not completely useless. Maybe in some cases isn't as useless as I make him out to be. But his decisions that he makes in a game is being replaced by the data that's handed to him. So if you're on the other side of that argument, which once again, I'll retweet what I've been tweeting the last five, six days, is that technology in Major League Baseball is being pretty much used at the expense of the Major League manager. I'll get some, you know, you know some, somebody with some sort of blinders on that can't get away from their own narrative. Still wants to blame Earl Weaver for the 1979 World Series. Is bitter and is still pissed off at Casey Stengel for putting Ralph Terry in the ninth inning of Game 7 of the 1960 World Series. And wants to make sure that if something goes wrong with their favorite baseball team, they blame the manager. We talk about scapegoats as they exist out there. Let me quote the legendary Chris Carter, Hall of Fame wide receiver, talking to a group of college kids. Hey, essentially it's okay to screw up as long as you got somebody to put the blame on. Make sure that you got a fall guy. And let's understand this. In Major League Baseball right now, the fall guy is a fan's favorite team's manager. And that's what they are. They're a scapegoat. They're the person that you go to blame every time there's something wrong. And don't let a little truth in the way the game's changed with the data that's being processed by front offices of Major League Baseball teams and handed down to the manager and saying, hey, here's the data that you're using. Here's your lineup. And once again, baseball season will start 2020. Can't wait to hear a bunch of know-it-alls start bitching and complaining about their favorite manager. Oh, I don't like the manager's lineup. Well, you know how much of a fool you look like right now when you're blaming a manager for a lineup that he didn't write? Oh, my God, I don't like the defensive shift. The manager should change it. Well, let me remind you again. Let me talk slow so you understand the manager doesn't determine what the defensive alignment of a team and their philosophy and what comes down from the front office basically dictates what their job is. But like I said, I'm going to continue to throw facts your way. 
But if you don't want to believe it, if you still want that scapegoat to be out there, if you still want somebody to blame, there's the major league manager. And that's becoming one of the number one responsibilities that they have. Basically to take the fall from ignorant, unknowledgeable, in a lot of cases, fans that don't know who else to blame. Something doesn't go right. What are you going to do? Stop blaming the manager. Start blaming the players. Somebody goes out there and steals and gets caught at second base. Was it the manager that sent him? Or maybe the guy ran on his own. Maybe he shouldn't have. How about the general manager? How about the analytics staff? How about all of those that are working together in a collaborative effort to run a baseball team on the field? Maybe when you're passing your blame out there, it should be more than one person. It should be that entire coaching staff. It should be the people behind the scenes, some of whom have never been near a Major League Baseball field in their life. All they do is stare at a computer and study numbers. How about you put some names on those people? Give them a little blame. The general manager whose responsibility is to assemble this team of data compilers. Maybe he shares a little of the blame too. You heard about Brody Van Wagenen texting Mickey Calloway to take Jacob DeGrom out of the game. You'll never know for a fact that that happened unless Mickey will tell you sometime after his coaching career is done. Maybe he writes a book. The problem is we are so programmed to blame the manager as he exists in baseball for everything. And we're not open-minded enough to see that it ain't his call in a lot of cases. And like I said, I'll tweet out, and I'm going to continue to tweet this out every day, your daily reminder that the data and the use of technology and analytics in baseball has come at the expense of the team's manager. And once again, we'll get some know-it-all that can't get it out of their head from what their narrative is, still thinking about Casey Stengel in 1960, still thinking about, uh, you know, uh, Dick Williams in 1984 with the Padres leaving Goose Gossage in a game. Still talking about John McInerra in 1986. Leaving Bill Buckner out there. They think it's the way the game is played in 2019. And you know what? Going back to those situations individually, Casey Stagel in 1960, to now, if he was managing in 2019, would be instructed on exactly what pitcher to put in a game at that spot. It wouldn't even be his call. And you know how I know this? Once again, I'm going to throw a fact at you. How did the Yankees align their bullpen for the entire postseason in 2019? When they got past the Minnesota Twins easy. When they got to the ALCS against the Houston Astros. They had a Hitting lineup, a one through nine, that was given Aaron Boone. He didn't come up with it by himself. And a pitching lineup. And the pitching lineup started out with your starting pitcher, and then went to Chad Green, then went to Tommy Canley, to Adam Adovino, to Zach Britton, to Araldis Chapman. That's called the pitching lineup. Managers don't come up with pitching lineups. Guess what? They're written. They're either typed up. It's a piece of paper that's handed to the manager. Here, how... Here's how you're running your bullpen. 
If the Boston Red Sox were in the World Series in 2019 with the same team that existed in 1986, maybe Dave Stapleton would be in the game. Maybe Bill Buckner would be on the bench. But regardless of how it happened, it wouldn't be the call of the manager that's on the field in 2019. At some point, we got to let go. Let go as a game or a sport that we've followed and loved and adored for our whole lives has evolved and changed right before our eyes. There's things that we're willing to accept. You talk about the designated hitter in baseball. We love it. We appreciate it. There's some people that are against it. But guess what? It's inevitable. It's becoming part of the game. Prior to 1973, anybody thought that somebody coming up and just hitting and pitchers not batting was sacrilegious against the game of baseball, against its history. Guess what? The National League and Major League Baseball is really the only league in the entire world that doesn't use the designated hitter right now. And you may not have to be a designated hitter fan to understand that the game has evolved and changed and it's inevitable at some point there's going to be a designated hitter in the National League soon. I don't know if it's real soon, but sooner rather than later there's going to be a designated hitter in the National League. And you can, like I said, be the biggest supporter of Madison Bumgarner and Mike Hampton and Bob Gibson and Rick Farrell and anybody who was considered a good hitting pitcher getting a chance to go out there and bat. But guess what? The game's changing. But once again, when it comes to the manager, fans are still not ready to let go. And I think part of it is because of the scapegoat aspect. You want somebody to blame. And because you can't identify that numbers compiler, that statistician, that Harvard or Yale grad that knows nothing about baseball, that all he does is study numbers, he's buried in a front office somewhere, his name will never become public, we blame the manager. Because we don't know that other guy's name. And you keep hearing teams, every single team, hey, how do we make decisions? It's a collaborative effort. How do we put together a game plan? It's a collaborative effort. Collaborative effort means that a manager doesn't run a Major League Baseball team on the field anymore. And I feel like I'm wasting my time repeating the same thing. But maybe, maybe me saying this will get through to one person. Maybe there'll be one person that's watching this show for the first time that maybe just what, never thought of it. And now can understand for the first time. Collaborative effort means salaries of Major League Baseball managers are going to decrease. You know why? Because you're not going to pay a guy $6 million a year that's not doing $6 million a year worth of work. The value of a Tony La Russa or even a Buck Showalter or Bruce Bochy who are probably all going to be in the Hall of Fame. You know La Russa is. Bochy's going to get there because of his World Series championships. Maybe Buck's a borderline candidate, but the bottom line is you hired somebody like that. You hired a Billy Martin because they were going to control where that franchise went. What they did in their game plan, 
and their interest in doing things their way were going to be a reason the team succeeded or the reason that you're looking for another manager in two to three years. And people can't get that right now. They're pissed off. They want that person that they can blame. And they're not willing to let go. Let go of the fact that the Major League Baseball manager does not make very many decisions. And I don't think it could be any more evident when it's pointed out that Major League Baseball managers don't write their own lineups anymore. But yet, if, you, if you're stuck in that narrative and you can't get that thought out of your head, you're still going to blame the manager every time there's a lineup that's posted that you don't like. When you're talking about mental health days. And I think we could talk about that as it applies to the NBA too. Now, I truly believe that the coach, the head coach in the National Basketball Association, still has as much power as he did 10 years ago. I do think that there's more data, and I think there is some sort of collaborative effort that determines when players need rest. And you see that happening, whether it was you know the San Antonio Spurs for years, whether it's the Los Angeles Clippers with Kawhi Leonard, whether it's really any other team when you see star players sitting out for load management. Load management is something that is a product of data. It's a product of information. Now, it could be right information. It could be wrong information. But I'm not 100% sure that that coach is making that call game to game. It may be determined in advance. That data may have determined that, hey, if a certain player plays four games in seven days, it may not be a good idea. Now, does the coach have the overriding factor or ability to, to veto that and say, I want that player to play today? And that's where you get back to the Major League Baseball manager, who I don't believe. Now, this is not a fact. This is an opinion. I'll let you know when I'm throwing an opinion out there. This is an opinion. I'm not sure that a Major League Baseball manager has the right to veto a lineup that is not put together in their way. I think it's a collaborative effort. I would like to think that a Major League Baseball manager would have some say. But the more games that I watch, the less I see a manager really having that power. And it's something that has to be brought up. Because I just don't know how to, else to bring it out there. We can talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame and how much of a joke it is. And how it's a shame the people that work so hard you know, in a museum to make it look nice. You know, they get kind of a bad name, but we understand that the people that run the Hall of Fame Museum are not the ones that, you know, keep are, are uh, keeping Barry Bonds and Pete Rose and Marvin Miller out. They're not the ones that determine who gets in. So see how that applies to the Major League Baseball manager. If it's not that person's jurisdiction, why are we going to be so damning against them 
for something that they're really not doing. This copyright and broadcast is authorized on our internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and the solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPLA.com and JohnPLA LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So the last thing I wanted to bring up, and I'm not going to be too long with this. Once again, this is the Passball Show, brought to you by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church at School in Jackson, New Jersey, did have to mention that St. Aloysius Church had its food drop-off today for uh, Thanksgiving. So it's actually uh, it's actually set up to where you can drop off dinners. Um, obviously fully, you know, not cooked. You know, raw turkey, you know, frozen, some sides. And then there's actually going to be families that are given those meals that day. And it's great to know that, you know, Thanksgiving, and you obviously think of the holiday, the way it's set up, is to be thankful for what you have, but also to share with those that are less fortunate. And I know many other churches are out there doing similar, similar stuff. I think it's a great job. And congratulations to, you know, all, all those that have worked real hard to set that up. You know, and, you know, glad for the families that may not be able to make their own Thanksgiving dinner. They just can't afford it. They just, you know, don't have that extra 40 bucks aside to make a particular dinner and to celebrate what they are thankful for. And it's just good to know that you could go to your local church if you're in need and they can help you. And they can have you have that moment where you can sit there and say, hey, we're thankful for this dinner. We're thankful for everything that we're given. And even though things may not be great or 100% ideal at this moment, there'll be a great, you know, there'll be better times coming. So it's thinking about legacies as they exist in the world of sports. And you can talk about second generation players, whether it's a guy like Barry Bonds, who obviously father Bobby played in the major leagues for a long time, King Griffey Jr., his father, King Griffey Sr., part of a big red machine, a Yankee and a Brave over the course of the 1980s. And you understand that if you're a second generation from somebody that is known to be a major leaguer, you think of Cody Bellinger, the MVP of the National League in Major League Baseball. He, you know, his father Clay didn't play a long time in the major leagues, but you know, you think of Cody Bellinger as he's coming up in the minors. Hey, he is the son of Clay Bellinger who played in the major leagues, and you wonder how it's going to apply. You think of Bronny James the son of LeBron, who's still playing in the NBA, of course, playing at a very high level, let's see. Maybe he adds a NBA championship to for the Los Angeles Lakers to his, his others with Cleveland and with Miami. But what type of pressure is it going to be for Bronny James as he's going through high school, may play that year in college, maybe he goes to the NBA, but, you know, it's a, it's a lot harder to be the second generation of a player that is all-world, one of the best ever. And it's a lot of expectations. It's easy to go the other way. It's easy to be Clay Bellinger's son, where the expectations aren't so high. Clay played in the major leagues, and, you know, good for him. Less than 20,000 people in the history of the world have ever played in a major league baseball game. So Clay Bellinger did well. 
but it's easier to outperform your father that didn't amount to a long Major League Baseball career than it is to go out there in the NBA and be LeBron James's son. And I understand ESPN, and you're out there looking for ratings wherever you can get them. People are going to watch LeBron James' son in a high school game if you put it up on your network. But I think of the individual person, the kid, which, remember, he's still a kid. To be LeBron James' son means that you're going to be expected to be the next LeBron James when you make it to the NBA. And assuming he earns it, I don't think he's going to get in the NBA just because of his namesake. But he looks like he's talented. He can jump. He could play. You know, he's got a little bit more time to develop. He's going to grow. He's going to get bigger. He's obviously going to be well coached. But what do you expect out of a second generation kid that is LeBron James's son? Like I said, even when we're talking about Bonds and Griffey, you know, Bobby Bonds was a really good player. You know, Barry Bonds, when he was coming up, they said, hey, this guy was a lot more talented. He, he may be better than his dad. While that is a lot to ask, to go out there, and Bobby Bonds played, what, 15 years in the major leagues? Most of it with the Giants. The last part of his career spent with a lot of different teams, starting when he was traded to the Yankees. But you, you watch, you know, Barry Bonds, all right, he's talented. And then you see him play, you know, his handful of years with the Pirates, and you're like, listen, all he has to do is stay healthy. He'll be better than his dad. Ken Griffey Jr. Now, listen, Ken Griffey Sr. had a very good career. World Series championships with the Reds. Was good for the Braves. Was good for the Yankees. Made up and never been a star. But he was a good player. Had a very long Major League Baseball career. It's a lot for Ken Griffey Jr. to live up to. Have a career that's as long as his dad's. But he was talented. He had that amazing talent that was able to allow him to become better than his dad early enough on in his career. But now you're talking about, like I said, Bronny James is going to come up to the NBA. He'll get his chance. Like I said, barring an injury or barring just something that happens or maybe, he, hey, he decides he doesn't want to be a professional basketball player. That may be, that may be true. How do you be the next LeBron James? Just a lot to ask. Like I said, if you're Michael Jordan and you're Michael Jordan's son and you're being groomed to be in the NBA, how do you how do you live up to the hype of your dad? How does Bronny James live up to the hype of LeBron James being his dad? I think it's so it's, it's amazing to think about. Now he may be able to do it. He may have that mental ability, and listen, for his father to succeed as much as he has with adversity, most most of the adversity was not his fault. It's just hate. People want to compare LeBron James to Michael Jordan. People want to talk about, you know, was LeBron better than Kobe? And then all you have to say is, hey, top 10 NBA players of all time. And then everybody's going to throw out their own list. And they're going to come out of the woodwork. They're going to talk about Kareem. They're going to talk about Jerry West. They're going to talk about Oscar Robinson, Larry Bird. Anybody that you want to come out there and say, hey, this guy is good. But somebody's got to be left off your list. 
most of the hate against LeBron James comes from you know outside and not really anything that he did. Was he has he been perfect? No, he's he's had he's had moments where he's not looked great. He's said some things that have been a little off base or just you know kind of made him or put him in a a, a negative light. But it's not easy having that sort of fame put out there. But I think it's going to be harder for the son. If you're the son of LeBron James, there's an awful lot to ask to go out there and be the next LeBron James. A little bit of a recap of the show today. We started out, and yeah, I do thank everybody for tuning in, talking about how fandom somehow gets stuck in our head and we become more of a fan than a realist. You've seen two situations over the last couple weeks. One of them, the investigation of the Houston Astros for using surveillance equipment to videotape their opposition and getting those signs down so the hitters knew what was coming. Listen, gamesmanship is good up to a certain point. I always said if that catcher can't do anything to mask that blatant number two that's going between his legs and makes it so obvious that that runner at second could see it, and he can just put his hand up and say, there's a freaking curveball coming, then that's, that's a shame on the catcher. That's a shame on the opposition. Sign stealing, if it's obvious, shouldn't be outlawed. But when you're going out there videotaping your opponent to a point where there's nothing you can do to change that, you can mask it, but it makes your team look bad. And the Houston Astros look bad in this situation. And like I said, I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I say they're innocent until they're proven guilty. And that's what brings me to Miles Garrett and the blatant act, which we saw with our own eyes, him swinging the helmet and hitting Mason Rudolph in the head. And once again, if you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns, you want to talk about how Mason Rudolph provoked it, you want to make some reason come out there to sound genuine to you, that Mason Rudolph deserved to get hit in the head with his own helmet. Just because you're a Cleveland Browns fan. Just because you don't like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Listen, the Pittsburgh Steelers could all be scumbags. They may be. And I'm sure if you're a Browns fan, that's how you feel. But the truth is, what Miles Garrett did was unacceptable and unbecoming of a player. And if the Astros are found guilty of using surveillance cameras to steal signs that led to a World Series championship in 2017, led to a long run to the ALCS in 2018, back to the World Series, losing a tough series in seven to the Washington Nationals in 2019, there's going to be sanctions. There's going to be loss of draft picks. There's going to be suspensions when it's determined exactly who was involved, who was putting this system in place. You're not taking away World Series championships, which I think is a whole other topic and discussion. But the Astros were wrong there. And it doesn't matter how much of a Houston Astros fan you are. It doesn't matter how much you love watching Astros baseball and have watched it your whole life. In a situation, if it's proven they did what they did, they're wrong. There's no excuse you can make as a fan. Miles Garrett was wrong. There's no excuse you can make as a fan. Spent some time talking about scapegoats in Major League Baseball and 
a lot of fans like to look at their scapegoat as their manager. Their manager is their scapegoat. As Chris Carter's legendary quotes, which maybe make him known more for this quote than he was as a Hall of Fame wide receiver in a National Football League. Do whatever you want. You can screw up. Make sure you got a fall guy. The fall guy in Major League Baseball is your team's manager. And don't let a little data or a little bit of facts or factual information get in the way of your narrative. A manager in Major League Baseball has basically been castrated. He's basically been neutered right before your eyes. Doesn't have the control over the game plan that they had before. Most of it's done for him. Is he on board with it? Hey, sure. I'm sure you want to hire a manager that believes in what your team wants to do. But he's not the only one making the decisions. When you go to criticize that manager of your favorite baseball team this year, think of that Harvard or Princeton graduate that has never played any sort of sport in their life, doesn't even know what a baseball field looks like. All he does is study numbers. He has much of an impact, has as much of an impact over actions in a game and decisions that are being passed down as that person that is wearing that Major League Baseball uniform and handing the umpire that lineup card before the game. Once again, I'm going to tweet out the, your daily reminder that the use of data, analytics, numbers, and information is coming at the expense of the Major League Baseball manager right now. This is the Passball Show brought to you by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, Karen and Jenny do an outstanding job out there. To, you know, pretty much going all over Scranton with their food truck. Different spots, different times. You can check out their Facebook page. Two Ways, the number 2-W-A-Y-Z. O-N-E, Passion, food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Like I said, you, you try their food, you're going to become addicted. It's great stuff. Especially you foodies out there, you like to try different things. What I want you to do is tell me that it ain't as good as I say it is. We'll be back with you next week. We're looking at probably Wednesday. It looks like we're going to try to do a show before Thanksgiving. Maybe Tuesday. See how it works. You got the NFL games this Sunday. Get a little closer to thinking about postseason football. I'm getting to the postseason in most fantasy football leagues, right? You know, the millions and millions of people that play fantasy football. You're watching those seasons kind of come too close. College football. You got Penn State, Ohio State today. Should be a good game to watch. Be back with you this week. This is the Passball Show. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.